And so for me, I said, well, if Christianity is not the white man's religion, we got fucking words. And so it takes the truth telling for us to actually be able to evaluate where we are versus where we've been versus where we're trying to go. And it's not as simple as either or. It might be a both and. It probably is the black, black man's religion. But if it is, then we must really understand what it is that we actually believe. Hey, y'all, you are listening to another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl, where we discuss all things concerning self-development and bettering our spirit, but from the homie perspective, somebody that's going through the journey day by day, just like you. Hey, y'all, you're listening to another episode of The Spiritual Homegirl Podcast. My name is Maria, and this episode is very special because this is episode number 100. Yes, 100. And I'm really excited because I... Could have honestly, I could have cleared these hundred episodes like <laughs> within the first like year of my uh matter of fact, within the first maybe two years of spiritual homegirls existence. But if you guys have been following me since day one, that means from September 2016, you guys would have known that I have been doing my episodes in a seasonal format, meaning I might have hit maybe 12 to 15 episodes and I'd take a break. And after season one, which was in January, I think that was episode 17, part two, but it was really like 18. Um, because it was a part two of an interview that I did. I took a three-month break, and then I came back with Dick Gregory. Then I continued to do more episodes. And then when I moved to California, acclimating and things like that, I had to take another break because um, moving cross-country and acclimating to a new city and finding a place to live and a job and things like that, I said, oh, snap. I did not know how much work that was going to be. So I had to take some time to uh, get my bearings before I came back to the podcast as frequently as I have been. So it's really good to... Um, create when I'm guided to and not when I'm forced to. I know people like to brag about numbers and how many episodes they did, but for me, I'm very much so about value. And I maybe it works for other people, but for me, I never want to rush my output for the sake of just having some numbers on the board because it's almost like having followers on social media. You can have six followers, six figure followings. You can have, honestly, like 14,000 like I have, but it don't mean shit if the 14,000 ain't rocking. So I'm not really the type that gets caught up into numbers to where it's just like, I have to do this because I have to get these numbers up. No, I'll celebrate the milestones when they come the way they're aligned to come. And this hundredth episode with three and a half years, almost four years of existence, I'm going to celebrate that 100 episode because I know that these hundred episodes came from value and I'm really excited about that. And, um, I actually have some, some people say it's controversial. Um, I feel like controversial is subjective, but this hundredth episode it's an interview with my friend, uh, James Woodall, um, also known, well, to me, I call him Reverend Major. <laughs> Reverend Major! But he's a Georgia native, and um, I met him at an interfaith dinner two years ago. I actually met him at a mosque. He's a reverend, yes, but um, I met him at a mosque, and it was an interfaith dinner between a Jewish group, uh, uh, the, uh, the black Muslims in Atlanta, and Christians. And it was very cool for people to just sit and, and talk and have respect. Because what I noticed is, let's keep it a thousand. Some of y'all may not like this, but, you know, it is what it is. And honestly, if you don't like it, it has nothing to do with what I'm saying as it is the personal problem or issue that you might be uh, unfortunately triggered by when I say this. I've never been a person that has discounted a message solely because of what a person believes in religiously or spiritually. I think that we can have differences of ideologies and we can still have commonalities um in in terms of what we believe and with reverend major reverend major is um 
I know people kind of put Christians in a box, but if you've really been a true day one spiritual homegirl fan, you'll know about maybe three, two or three years ago. I did an episode with uh, one of my producers of this podcast. And ironically, if I'm the spiritual homegirl, he's super duper Christian homeboy. But he was the producer of my podcast for many years. But we had a conversation about what we tend to shun as Christianity because of those representatives that don't do Christianity right. That's not real Christianity. So um, for those that might be like, oh, them Christians, you might want to. I'm going to be honest with you. It's not that kind of episode. We're trying to preach an ideology. I would hope that you guys would. know me well enough by now to know that I'm going to, as I've had previous people on this podcast before, I'm going to continue to have different perspectives. I have had a Muslim on this show. I have a Christian on this show. I've had people who um, don't believe in anything on this show. I've also had people who are spiritual on this show. I've had people that believe in African spirituality on this show. So my guests are very diverse and that won't be changing no time soon. So I hope I did not disappoint anybody. But if I did, that means you did not know what I stood for from the beginning. Because as I always say, perspective is necessary. Whether it resonates or not, it's up to you to make the choice. But I do believe in different perspectives. So with that being said, Major Woodall, (laughs) my friend Major, he actually is the state uh, chapter president of the NAACP. And um, for those who don't know, the NAACP is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Um, And I thought that when I saw him get elected to the state office, I knew he I knew he was going to get elected first off because Major is a great person. He's a man of great character and leadership. And um, also, he's a people's person. He can connect to anybody. I met him at an interfaith dinner. So, I mean, if I'm meeting this man at an interfaith dinner at a mosque, I knew that he was a person that was um, not of the separatist type of mindset that we tend to have when it comes to our ideologies being maybe morally um, inferior or superior compared to other people's ideologies. He don't think like that. He's not on the high horse. So that's why we got along. But also when he started doing his community work, I said, dang, okay, well, I know he's studying over at the Morehouse School of Theology. I also know that he's an Army veteran. I also know that he's um, a, a reverend. And I also know that he is now state president, uh, state chapter president of the NAACP for Georgia. So he has a lot on his plate, but all the things that he does seem to somewhat tie into each other. So I always wanted to talk to him on the platform, and this conversation was actually two years in the making. So I'm really happy that we're able to have this conversation about the religion of white supremacy and what that really is and why turning the other cheek has been taken out of context by many a people over many years so with that being said y'all tap in with this episode i hope you guys enjoy it and um, i actually did the intro to this episode at the end of our interview so you probably won't be hearing from me um in this way afterwards normally i do an interview and a recap but i did the recap immediately afterwards so i hope you guys enjoy it and thank y'all so much for supporting and cheers to another 100 episodes love y'all my name is Maria, the Spiritual Homegirl, and my platform is about bettering self and spirit to empower community. From a homegirl, just like you perspective, I am not to be your guru. I'm just simply here to help you become your own. Talk about everything that is under the sun about empowering self and spirit to empower community. Um, that sexuality, finances, um, different spiritual systems, um, healthy eating, mental health, um, and also we have lots of different perspectives from people like my guest today. And we'll be talking about something very interesting today. Um, and you may have seen him on television. I actually met um, Major, as I call him, but his name is Reverend James Woodall. 
I met him about two years ago at an interfaith dinner, and one thing that stuck out to me the most was that his mind was very brilliant. Brilliant is what I think of when I think of uh, major. And at the time, if I remember correctly, you were in the Statesboro local uh, NWCP, correct? That's right. The, the yeah, vice president for Bullock County. Vice president, right. So I remember when you said you were going to run for state president, and I remember telling you congratulations in advance because you're going to win. And sure enough, <laughs> right, he right, right. Huh? I said, yeah, exactly right. So now Major, or Reverend James Woodall, is now the state president of the uh, Georgia NAACP, and he's been making his rounds um, on lots of different um, outlets. I've, I've seen CNN. I thought I saw MSNBC. You've been, you've been all over the place, Major. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for those who, I mean, that's just my introduction. For those who may need a little bit more information, tell us a little bit about yourself. So um, like, like you said, Maria, I'm James Woodall, the state president of Georgia NAACP, eight-year uh, veteran of the United States Army uh, by way of the, uh, of the military intelligence uh, corps. And, um, you know, graduate of Georgia Southern University, a third year yeah. master's student at the Morehouse School of Religion. I'm about to graduate here in the next several months. And, um, you know, just grateful to be here, grateful to be alive, but most importantly, grateful to have breath in my body because I believe that every breath that we breathe is evidence that not only God is with us, but God continues to keep us. And, for that, we give God glory because the scripture does declare that let everything that has breath praise ye the Lord. So uh, I'm, I'm grateful and, and honored for the opportunity to, to share on you, with you on today. I thank you for speaking with me because you have been busy. And with everything that's been going on in, in the world, especially in Atlanta, um, I understand that's where you're based. Yep, I'm I'm in Atlanta, my office, my apartment here. Um, I do got some space down in Statesboro still, but but for the most part, I stay up here. Okay, I just know you've been busy, 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 busy. Yeah. So that's why I'm multitasking as we speak because I gotta eat. <laughs> <laughs> you do the fight, the fight. You gotta be fed, okay? You can't fight off nothing now. That's it. Okay, so for those um. Well, I've already kind of shared the topic. I kind of teased it. People are really excited. But we're talking about the religion of white supremacy. My God. <laughs> my, 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 my. And I'm I really guess I get to preach to today. To I'm sorry? I get to preach today. Let's have at it. <laughs> the reason why I'm really glad to talk with you about it because, you know, we have many conversations about uh, religion, about Christianity, and also about, like, what we're dealing with today. So I'm really excited to um, get your thoughts on this because I noticed that with the situation we're going through right now, as much as we're fighting against one thing right now, they're starting to become some infighting about the right way to do things. And I think some of us are losing sight that no matter what it is that we're having differences on, they still are um, oppressing us collectively. And I think that um, religion has been something that has been kind of brought up a lot. Um, like some people say, I don't do Christianity. That's the oppressor's religion. The white folks gave me that religion. I can't accept that. Now with you being reverend, uh, a reverend, I'm curious. And also you said you're a student at the Morehouse School of Religion, correct? That's right. The School of the Prophets. 
So I'm just curious to know, like, what is your take on this? Well, I, I call it, uh, and I work with this question a lot, but I call it the crisis of consciousness. Because for me, it's interesting that we reject the very religion that the quote unquote oppressor gave us, but rather we don't reject the very title or as we call it, the ontological being that the, that the white oppressor gave us being black. Um, we were not created black. Uh, in fact, our oppressor gave us that classification so that it could be intertwined with the whiteness of white supremacy. And when I talk about these terms, they're not in any way mutually exclusive to our being nor our identity, but rather they are a element of connection between the nothingness of our being and the everythingness of theirs. And so this is nothing to do with uh, race or black and white, but has everything to do with human versus non-human citizen versus non-citizen. And so for us as black people, as human beings who happen to be black, um, it's always intriguing to, to hear that argument, but rather not allow it to be continued all the way through. There's not consistency in application of the, I guess, the legal argument, if you will, because blackness is a legal term. It's a legal definition. Uh, you know, the same way association, as we, as the NAACP president, association literally means legally insufficient. And so as we start working with the very elements of ontology, I think that's where we're trying to go because I'm one who likes to get down to the source. I don't want to talk about the symptoms and for me, the symptoms are blackness versus whiteness, police brutality and racism and all those things. But at the root of all of this is dehumanization. And so when we talk about Christianity, I say, well, how can you accept or, or not accept Christianity? And granted, I'm not here uh, using apologetics, meaning defending Christianity, because I, I believe there are some things to be said about it. But in general, general terms, I think we have to not only be consistent, but also be aware of what we're actually doing and saying in this moment. Dang, that's loaded. So, hmm. So with the, the white supremacy or dehumanization, I'm just, I'm just curious to know, because I know you're very well studied and I'm just curious to know at, what is your view on how during slavery, slave masters decided to use religion as a tool against the very people that they were enslaving. So it's interesting because there's an argument in the, in the black theological tradition that suggests that one, Christianity isn't a white man's religion, but rather it was a, a, a construct of, of black Ethiopians, more specifically the black Ethiopian Coptic uh, Athanasius, who was tasked with going around to the various African bishops on the continent and getting these various scrolls and these various letters all together. And he would ultimately put it together in which they would then send it to one of the councils before Council of Nicaea. I think it was Council of, of Orange, and, and don't quote me on that, but it was one of them, it was four specific councils. Mm -hmm. And uh, what we saw was that the Europeans took what the African did. And these were still Catholic, if you will, because they were Coptic, but they were still bishops nonetheless. And when we look at it, we say, well, 
not a single person in the scripture or the canon is European. They never set foot on the European continent. So how in the world could the scripture, the canon, be, um, you know, a white man's creation? But on the converse, what I, what I then began to ask, I said, well, if I look at the, the narrative, the slave narrative, there's a book called uh, The Religious Instruction of the Negro by Charles Colcock Jones, who was a presbyter from, from I think it was St. Simons or Sea Island, uh, Georgia, off the coast of Georgia. And in those things, literally it would describe how before they even left the continent of Africa, and it wasn't even called Africa then, but when they left the continent of Africa, they literally had to be baptized in the name of Jesus. And the very baptism symbolized their transmission not into uh, salvation as we talk about it today, but rather salvation in the, man, in the terms of white man, because we have to remember that the white man or the oppressor or the colonizer saw us as uncivilized. Remember what I referenced before, civilized versus uncivilized, right. citizen versus not citizen. And so for you to be transported into the transatlantic, you had to be baptized. And so for me, I said, well, if Christianity is not the white man's religion, we got fucked even worse. And so it takes the truth telling for us to actually be able to evaluate where we are versus where we've been versus where we're trying to go. And it's not as simple as either or. It might be a both and. It probably is the black, black man's religion. But if it is, then we must really understand what it is that we actually believe. Because simply just saying, I don't believe in religion, is selling ourselves short because our ancestors did believe in this. They did believe in Islam. But what is the source of the strength that we draw on? What is the, 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 the spiritual effect that these Negro spirituals have on our souls? It doesn't just happen. When we look at videos of, of, of you know, our ancestors dancing in a Pentecostal kind of way, it symbolizes some some kind of connection throughout generations that we cannot cannot ignore, and so our expression may be different, but our souls are forever intertwined with our people. You know, you just brought up something for me that um, I wanted to ask you, and to be honest, I think everything serves whoever it needs to, how it needs to, based on that need of that person. But I will say though, a lot of people's issue with religion has not necessarily been, at least in my experience, has not necessarily been with the religion itself. It's the people that facilitate the religion. So it's either an issue with the preacher or the pastor, it's an issue with the deacon or the congregation, or it's, um, and, I, and I do, and when I say that, I mean the manipulation of a scripture in order to perpetuate some type of concept or idea on that person. So I'm just curious to know, like, what is your your thought on that? Because when you think about what a typical, quote-unquote, American Christian is, from what I'm understanding, that's not Christian at all. The, quote-unquote, American Christian is homophobic. They are transphobic. They are, um, they say that they're about love, but they don't really want people to have their own right and make their own type of choices. But they say those kind of things that are that seem to be quite personal in the name of Christianity. So I'm curious to know, do you think that it's, it's an issue with some of the people that have kind of used religion in a perverse way that these people have issues with? Well, I think, um, you know, the qualifier that you just 
described is called American. <laughs> and language is important. And when we look at Western culture, Western theology, Western pedagogy, meaning the, the way that, or really even the, uh, the Western kind of, I don't know the word, I can't think of it at the top of my head, but how do we know what we know? How do we get to understand and to educate and to condition that mind? And it's interesting that qualifiers often use American Christianity, American democracy, American militarism, American capitalism, or the other qualifier often is Western. And so let me preface by what I'm about to say by saying that this is all over the world, westernized ideas. Um, and with that being said, when we look at, you know, these concepts at the root of them, it's not religion. But again, we criticize the institution and, and rightly so. We criticize the institution while giving space and grace to all the other ones that are just as well as killing us. Capitalism being one. We find, way, we find ways to make it work for us, but, but for some reason, the religion is the only one that seems to get the, the, the garnered attention uh, and rejection by our people. The very institution that literally saved us, the very institution that gave us the space to be able to express ourselves freely, the very institution that began to give us the kind of opportunity to literally have a peace of mind, and the very institution that that was was the black church. And, then, and, and I say that because it's important for us to realize that institutions literally build societies. And the only institution that we have, we don't even have the HBCUs anymore. The only institution that we as a people have in this country is the black church. And so when we criticize it, what we cannot do is demonize it at the same time. There's need for critique. There's need for us to be able to raise the kind of questions about who arise up against the evildoers and the workers of iniquity. It's important for us to raise up the questions about why are our black sisters being brutally raped and violated in the church space? Why our families are being deconstructed and destroyed simply due to silence and appalling uh, silence of good people, quote unquote. About why the preachers are sleeping in the pulpit, both figuratively and literally. And so I looked up uh, a, a, a sermon by Dr. King. He says there was a knock at midnight. And normally at midnight, most of us are asleep and it's dark outside. And, you know, there's not really much going on. I mean, I know there's a quote that says very few things are open at midnight. But, and that was a joke. I know but, I'm um, gonna laugh because I know that joke. <laughs> <laughs> but but what we saw at midnight is that in the darkness of despair, we found there was a glimmering sense of hope. And in Zechariah 9 and 12, it says, Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. I will restore double unto you. You can't restore what you cannot face. You cannot restore what you are you cannot acknowledge. You cannot restore what you cannot recognize as yours. And so it's up to us, I believe, in this moment to return to our fortress. Who Jesus, that preached to me. Return to your fortress. 
the very institution, the very element of surprise, the very acts of being that allow for us to win this thing called life. And for me, I believe it's, it's the black church. So we must return to our roots, to our fortress. We can do so in truth telling now. We, we're not gonna ignore the realities of, of, of danger that, that, that are currently oppressing our people. And so I just wanted to lift that up because it's oftentimes a, a point of frustration that uh, you know we demonize that which has saved us for, for way so long. But I think also it's, it's a function of white supremacy to convince us that that which is ours is, is demonic, that which is ours is ineffective, that which is ours is something that's not ours at all in, in the first place. And so when we look at our ancestors and we look at their traditions, it was overly expressive in a variety of ways. And it wasn't one kind of expression. It was, it's a multitude. And so that's, that's really what I, what I look at when, I, when we talk about that question. Okay, so basically it's more of demonizing, and, and correct me if, I, if I'm wrong here. So basically it's a demonizing of something that really was ours to make it seem like it was given to us by somebody that it wasn't supposed to or that it wasn't ours at all. But it sounds like also you're willing to call out some of the inadequacies of the black church. But at the same time, you're not really saying to discount the black church because it has saved us for so long. Right. You can't throw out the baby with the bathwater. Is basically what we're trying to get at. We got to understand what, what it is that we're looking for, what it is we're asking for, and how do we get it. And if we want liberation, we're going to have to have some kind of uh, spiritual practice that allows for us to live. But simply just living in this world, listening to the trap trap music that we listen to all the time, and, and, and engaging in the kind of back and forth conversation that, that doesn't really lead to us being uh, lifted up. If if you be lifted up, I'll draw all, all men unto me. That's what that's what it says. But we can't do that if we're not in position. It's an impossible. The very fact that we are alive doesn't grant us the, the very promise of, of God. We got work to do. And so we we believe, again, this is a function of, of, of dehumanization, that we got this, the very act of our existence grants us the very promise of God. I believe that. But we got to breathe. I get that. I respect that. But for a person, and, um, and I remember seeing an article about how people are, are black, younger black people are straying. I'm not going to say straight. Let me not say that. They're leaving the church in favor of more African-centered practices like African spirituality or, or what have you. So some will argue that even Christianity has roots in African spirituality. I was under the understanding at some point that that had roots in African spirituality. So, well, I guess what I'm asking is, does it have to be Christianity or the black church, or is it just some type of black spiritual institution that can help with some type of empowerment and development? I don't believe that there's, there's a monopoly on the faith. I don't believe it's a, a monopoly on the divine either. 
I mean, we have to have space for diversity of thought, of opinion, of expression, because even even in the tradition of Christianity, there's not a consensus of understanding. There's some things that I believe, like I, I wholly reject the notion that we were born in, in sin. I reject wholeheartedly the, the, the expression that somehow because of some scripture or some written word that uh, their words were more valuable than my own. That, 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 that the scripture was indeed the infallible word of God, as many denominations say. I believe that the word of God is infallible, but I don't think it's limited to, to some book. And so though I'm a, a, a student, a scholar of that book, I, I can also recognize the very divine words of James Baldwin or Nina Simone or Bell Hooks or Jacqueline Grant or James Cone. Those are just as equitable in divinity as it is the apostle paul or or the or the prophet micah and the prophet zechariah in ezekiel there there was nothing more divine about even jesus for jesus alone was not a person but rather was a uh uh a a, a title a, a, an expression of 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 insurrection yeshua was a was a greek word it wasn't english and so when we look even in scripture, in, in the divine scripture, there's often evidence that the things that we believe in the English tradition just simply isn't consistent with that which is Hebrew and or Greek. And it's a beautiful expression to be able to, to understand and engage. I have so many questions. I guess I'll start with the first one. So with the book, you're talking about the, the divine scripture. There have been, it, there's been a lot of arguments about the book, whether the book is actually the real book. There's books that are removed from the Bible. Um, there's, I think with some schools of thought, they say the Torah is the real, is the real book. I'm necessarily asking you to, to say why one's better than the other, but I am asking, what is your take on the notion and seemingly fact that the Bible that we know of today, at least collectively, because I know you may know a different one, is not the same Bible that's supposed to be for us. Like, it's, a, it's an edited version. Well, one, the Bible that we, that we put together, we being inclusive of our African roots, the Bible that we put together was put together by African bishops. And they agreed to the Council of Nicaea to put it together, the, the, the 66 books that we got today. And, you know, as institutions, you have collective ability to decide what happened. And that institution decided that this was what they were going to use as their book. And I'm not classifying it as real or unreal. I just think that it is. Because to operate in a duality, often always reflects back on our westernized uh, kinds of thinking. There are traditions like Islam, for instance, there are other books that they worship, I mean, use in spiritual practice other than the Torah. Not to say that the Torah is not important, but they use other ones as well. The Prophet Muhammad, his, his work was not just inclusive of the Torah, it was other works as well. We got in the English tradition or the, the Baptist tradition, I mean, not the Baptist, the Christian tradition, we got the Apocrypha. And we read the Apocrypha. The Bible that I read has the Apocrypha in it. Most people haven't read it, though. And so we, 
even in our own intelligence, we are ignorant to the fact that there's so much more out there. And it raises the question, what is divinity? And that's really at the heart of the program that I'm finishing up is what is the divine? Why did God create us? What purpose is there for our breaths of life? Why would, do we ex, uh, uh, experience this kind of tumultuous crisis of, of faith that, that really allows for us to question in the words of Jesus the Christ in, in the book of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, it says, my God, my God, where the hell are you? Eli, Eli, Lama Sabachthani. And that's, that's, that's the beauty of this, of this journey is, is finding out where the hell God is. And the beauty of the journey is not only that, but, but realizing that God is within. That we take a stop, we breathe, and we realize that in the scripture it declares that God took the very earth, the Adame, the Adama, and would blow thy breath into it. And it became a living soul. And so I lift up the very words of not only our, our, our dear brother, Eric Garner, but also now George Floyd. He says, I can't breathe. And for me, it was a, a painful moment, not because another black man had been killed, even though that was painful, but rather I realized that God is angry because when God created us, God created us with breath in our bodies to praise you, Lord. And when God didn't get the praise, God becomes angry. And so I believe that God indeed is angry with us because God doesn't get what God created us to give. And so it becomes a layered kind of fight. We're fighting on a spiritual path toward destruction. Now, when you say that God is angry because we have not given him the praise, are you saying that from an African-American perspective or is it more of a collective societal perspective? It's coming from a divinity perspective, a divine perspective, meaning that what is praise? <laughs> what is worship? Right. For us, we thought it was just simply singing a song, lifting our hands, but, but rather I believe, and this is just my personal uh, fundamental claim of faith, is that the very praise and worship that we give God is to co-create again with God, co-creation. And so what does that look like? How do we have dominion over that which God had thus created as well? But we weren't the only one. So how are we treating the earth? How do we treat our, our families and our communities? How do we, you know, uh, do justice? How do we love mercy? And how do we walk humbly with our God? How do we do those things? And so in an American sense, we have, have constricted the, uh, I guess the very expression of faith to our going to church, the very individualized kind of things. But if we are to truly be African in nature, what we then realize is that in the African tradition, there was not a body, spirit, and soul, or body, mind, and spirit. It was all one. And so it wasn't, I'm saving my soul, or I'm saving my body, or I'm saving my mind. It was, I'm saving my life. Because life was interconnected with this experience in the, in the next. And so now that we separated into this tripart being, we've now reduced our entire faith journey to trying to get to heaven, as opposed to actually living here on earth. And I think it wastes the very breath that God gave us to try to praise our way into a heaven 
that we've been created and given opportunity to experience right here, right now. So realize eschatology. That's very interesting because even though I don't tell my beliefs, my personal beliefs with spiritual hunger in terms of what I practice, I can feel comfortable sharing that I do believe that God is everywhere. Um, I believe God is, I look up in the sun, I see the sun, I see God. I, I feel the wind, I think that's God. I look at the earth, that's God. The ocean, God. I look at other people, um, and I do believe that there is God in them. And um, I do believe that the same way you said about co-creating the, um, basically co-creating something beautiful, something great. To me, something of service, something of humanity from my inner God to such someone else's inner God. And I think in that context, that helps me honor the external God. I thought that was kind of interesting that you said that. Um, and and these questions will keep piling up, but I know you are really busy, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to only ask the most important ones that's on my brain. So what is your take on Christ consciousness? Uh, there's a book called the Jesus. Well, there was a book called The White Woman's Jesus. No, the, the Black Woman's Jesus, The White Woman's Christ by my professor, Jacqueline Johnson, or Jacqueline Grant, excuse me. And it raises, in, in very simple terms, it raises a, a very ethical question about what Christ is versus what Jesus ain't. And Jesus, or let's start with Christ, Christ being the Christos, the anointed one, the, 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 the way that we define our very being of, of faith, right? Anointed. Um, and we oftentimes refer to Jesus as Jesus the Christ, right? And so Christ being that which saves, that which heals, that which redeems, that which anoints, that which is empowered. But Jesus, the Yeshua, was a title that was given to those who are responsible for insurrection, those who are waiting to be saved, those who are trying to find a way to overthrow the empire. And so that's why when there was two men uh, uh, at, at, at this thing where Pilate, the governor, was saying, who should I let go free? Would it be Yeshua, son of the living God, or Yeshua, son of the father? Because it said it was two different people, one the same person, it was two people. You had Jesus the Christ, the son, the king of the Jews, as they called him, or Yeshua bar Abbas, or in English we said Barabbas. Bar Abbas meant son, Bar being son, Abbas meaning father. And so for us, we had to make a decision in that, in that scripture, whether we're going to let the king of the Jews go, that which was a king who interrupted the very flow of King Caesar, Julius Caesar, or son of the father, Jesus Bar Abbas. And they made the decision that Jesus, the son of the king, or the king of the Jews, was more of a threat to Caesar than that which was the son of the father. Where am I trying to go? Is that Jesus is a, a way that we have hope that we can one day be saved. Christ, on the other hand, is an expression that we already are. That's why we call ourselves Christian. But rather, if we as black people who claim to be oppressed, claim to be Christian, there becomes a contradiction of being. Because how can we be saved, yet still hoping to be set free? How, do, how, 
how how does that and it goes back to that first point i made the very blackness of identity has to be a claim of ontology that suggests that we are indeed oppressed because it's interconnected with whiteness and white privilege and white being and white supremacy and dehumanization that's what it was created to be the negro right in the words of james baldwin and uh w.e.b Bois, how can we be saved yet still hoping for liberation and freedom what is the point of salvation outside of that which allows for us to hope that one day we can live in a world where we're not oppressed. So there's a contradiction within the Jesus Christ. And so in our consciousness, we're trying to come up with, with some understanding as to what all of this means. And some of us reject it altogether. Some of us embraces it. Some of us pick and chooses which ones we abide by. But at the end of the day, it's still a crisis because we don't know who the hell we are. Well, uh that's heavy um unfortunately i think going back to what i said in the beginning about the infighting about i've seen a lot of infighting um all across the board whether it has been about what to call ourselves if we are really black why are we calling ourselves that um also which religious system to follow um it's, it's just been a lot and I'm just curious to get your perspective because the way I look at it is it's experience. You're going to have to just find it through experience. And, and honestly, maybe for some silence and solitude, I know for me, you know, it took, a, I had a lot of great moments out of silence and solitude in terms of trying to discover who I was to the core or who I always was at the core. So what advice would you give somebody that's struggling to find out who they are? To find the value of their breath, to find their voice, to, to be able to truly understand who they are in the context of, of um, their people. Um, there are two really important covenants that I made and it led me to this point. One, it was to always protect thy people, no matter what. And then two, it was to tell no lies and claim no easy victories. And the very truth telling, and we don't speak truth to power, I think that was another creation of white supremacy. We speak truth in power because we, the people, as it says in the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence, we, the people, in order to form a more perfect union, et cetera, et cetera. But yet we always yield ourselves to those institutions, those personalities, those people that we believe are more than life itself celebrities, politicians. And I think it does more damage because one, it's a creation of Western capitalism, but two, it convinces us that we are not more important or we are, we are not more important than they. And therefore we allow the other to be, uh, to be created into existence in a very masterful kind of, uh, way of, way of the oppressor is that oppressor is able to co-create it might not be what we want it to be it, it may not be uh favorable but they are creating they're creating institutions they're creating identities they are creating ways of life and until we realize that they too are given the same opportunity at breath as we are then we begin to lift our voices and declare what is right and i believe that that god is 
angry, but I think that God also wants us to speak up too. When we speak up, there begins to, to be a choir of angels singing in our behalf. So that's that's really what I what I what I think of when you when you when you share that question and it, it really just kind of uh, reminds us that that we can create another way. We can imagine a world that is not wrought with violence and militarism and capitalism, but that we can live together peacefully in a community like any other. We've done it before. And I believe we can do it again. Now, I noticed you mentioned that us returning to the black church could be necessary, but also you also mentioned that there's not a monopoly on faith. So I guess my follow-up question to that is, do you believe that's possible without adopting um, a religious system or jumping back into the black church? Does it have to go through the black church? No, it doesn't. Um, and it's probably going to be my last question. I got to run. But um, it doesn't have to be that institution. There's many vehicles. It's like saying, do you have to go to HBCU to know who your people are? No, you do not. But it's an institution. It's our institution, and we cannot allow them to fail. And so it requires maintenance. It requires attention. It requires investment. And so if we throw it out simply because we don't agree with it all the time, I don't agree with it all the time, but yeah, I still send my money. I still invest my energy. I still support its people because the mission is the liberation of our people. No permanent friends or enemies on permanent issues. And that's the liberation of our people. And so I don't have to go to Howard to know that Howard is valuable. And I still would lift it up and support it. I don't have to go to Morehouse, even though I do, to know that it's valuable. Spelman, Tiff College. Uh, not Tiff College, that's not an HBCU. Fisk College, excuse me. Or, you know, I can go through the list. Savannah State, Albany State, Fort Valley State. Um, it's just one of those things. It's a it's a beautiful thing to know wh who you are and who we are. I agree. Look, I have one final question, just one. Now you know with quote unquote Christianity, they all it's always um, or or people and again with the with white supremacy, it's always a use of like an ideology like a Martin Luther King Jr. They always um, pervert it and say, oh well, it's about nonviolence. It's about nonviolence. Turn the other cheek you know, this is not the way to do it. Now, if you notice, I mean, you're out there fighting with the people to get change. As a, as a reverend, and again, as um, the leader of a very respected organization over an entire state chapter of an organization, what is your take on people not being so, uh, quote unquote, peaceful? I mean, because I know the Bible is eye for an eye. So at what point do you think it's eye for an eye applicable if any well i think that's a question that's grounded in a an ethic of war but it's also a perversion because the very turn your cheek rule had nothing to do with peace or violence but everything to do with power it says if you turn your cheek the other way that means that you, you have to turn it the other way and it was an ethic that they said well if you turn it and you slap it that means that he's above you that they've literally taken you, it was, it was an ultimate sign of disrespect. And that they, they literally would dominate you. 
It was the ethic of war. And so for us, you know, we just talking about, you know, just turn the other cheek. That means, no, if I turn this other cheek, that means I'm coming after you. Because you've just signaled to me that there's war to be had. And everybody didn't do that. It was only the, 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 the top tier people, those people who had the kind of privilege of being able to have masses of people behind them. So when we, when we had these kind of sayings, we had to be very careful because the context is ever more so important. And so okay. when we say we don't, oh, go ahead. So when we say we don't turn another cheek, that means I'm coming after your ass. And I won't stop until you're wiped out. And this is a war. Let's not be mistaken about it. There, there's not peace without justice. And we have not had justice. And so therefore there cannot be any peace. There's nothing nonviolent about protest. There's nothing nonviolent about demanding that systems be overthrown and destroyed. But if we use the language of our oppressor, then we, we are forever confused. The indoctrination of the BS is deep because people, I've heard it say, because I don't think I've used turn the other cheek because that just doesn't feel right. But some people say we can't not turn the other cheek. But based on what you're saying, that's wrong. You better. That's out of context. You better. You better turn that cheek. Otherwise, you, you succumb to the very disrespect and oppression of your of your enemy. The folks have been using these idioms all wrong. Yep. So it sounds like there's some work and reading to be done across all fronts. My front, yep. collective fronts, all fronts. We all got some learning to do. Okay. As do I. I know you gotta go. What's a book? I just need to know one book that people can start it. Cause I know somebody's gonna ask me. Every time I have a guest that's 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 super duper like profound, somebody always asks me, what have they read? So I have to ask you, I promise you, I'm gonna let you go because I know you're busy. But what is the what's a, a good top two, top three list of books that you're like, yeah, that's the one. There's a there's two books. One is called, well, three. One is the Jesus Christ crises. No, no, no. Dark signs, obscure symbols, which is by Earl Riggins, my, my, my advisor, professor. And I'm working on his final book with him, the Jesus crises of black consciousness that we mentioned. The second book is the white woman's Christ. No, that's more technical. I'm not going to start you with that one. The second one would be the cross in the lynching tree by James Cone, meaning the cross being a symbol of Roman oppression, not as a symbol of salvation. And then the final would be a kind of, uh, I don't wanna say anthology, but it's called the Womanist Midrash. It gives a different reading to the, the text of terror that really describes women's experience in the text, Bathsheba, Ruth, Esther. And that's by Will Gaffney, Dr. Will Gaffney. So you have the dark signs, obscure symbols by Riggins Earl um, to the, the crossing of the listening tree by James Cone. And then three, the woman is Midrash by Will Gaffney. Okay. Thank you, Major, for speaking with me. How can people find you? Because I'm besides being on TV. <laughs> you can follow me on social media at on at I Major Wish. Um, or you can just contact us directly at nwacpga.org. 
All right. Well, I'm excited for you. You've been doing so much good work over the years. And I'm always respected. You're open-minded. I've always respected your ability. Again, meeting you at an interfaith dinner, I think that spoke to the type of person that you were, the fact that I did meet you at a mosque two years ago. And I was able to uh, dine with Jewish people as well as Muslims, as well as Christians. Like, it was really cool. It was really cool to see that, that type of unity during that moment so and also again speaking with you i know you like i said your mind is very very brilliant and one thing i do respect about your mind is that it isn't so much of a monolith to where it's exclusionary sometimes people assume that reverends or men that are that are of the faith are exclusionary and you haven't been that way so i that's why i'm really glad you decided to come on the platform so there can be a different perspective uh, because there are some men like yourself and women like yourself that are in the faith that have great things to say and are not trying to exclude anybody. Um, and you can still have your faith system and still be, you know, inclusionary and respectful of others. And I just respect your example with that. Most well, definitely. Well, thank you for having me on this show. I'm grateful. I always love your work. Continue on keeping on and stay in the fight, stay on the wall, because we need you. We need you too, bro. Trust me. Especially with uh, knocking some of these systems down, okay? But... I will let you eat your breakfast and things, and you have a good rest of your day, all right? You too. We'll talk to you, Maria. Thank you. For sure. Peace, Major. Peace. So, y'all, that was this episode with my partner, Major, uh, well, a.k.a. James Woodall. That's his government name, um, who is the state president of the NAACP um, for Georgia. And I am really... First off, this conversation was two years in the making. There were so many things I wanted to talk to him about, and I was not able to hone in on a particular um, subject. And hold on, let me get my moon in here, okay? Because it's new moon today. Okay, there we go. So I wanted to talk to him for a couple of years about his mind on different things. There's a lot of things that we did not discuss on this show that I'm really excited to um to get him back on the discussion, like I said, like he's not what he's not the typical demonized Christian that society has somewhat created here. Even I know a spiritual homegirl that I have friends that are Muslims. I have friends that are um, that are Christians like him. That you know we can have our own belief systems and we still respect each other. We still love each other regardless. We still love our people regardless. So it's really cool to see these conversations happen. I'm really honored to have people like uh, James on my platform. I have a lot of other people that I'm going to start bringing on this platform a lot more often, um, whether it's mental health, whether it's elders. I have a, a whole like set up a series of elders that I'm about to start bringing slowly one by one, um, especially with the times that we have. I think it's important that different perspectives on this platform are necessary because at the end of the day, we may not all agree on how to live our lives. But there are a lot of us that have a respect, a mutual respect for those, regardless of that. And faith is one of those differences that we do have. Um, so I'm just really excited um, to, to bring more people um, there because the bottom line is, regardless of those differences, we need that solidarity. We need it. Um, I know that sometimes we kind of get divided when it comes to uh, uh, education status or I've seen diaspora wars on social media. Like people are trying to place black Americans under or above actual Africans or, um, or black Caribbeans. It's just kind of like, that is like super counterproductive right now. I've seen 
the men versus uh, women argument, which in my opinion is a very multi-layered discussion to me that cannot be had simply on social media. It's not that simple. It's not that, um, it, it, it requires a lot more than just uh, theses and one-time conversations. That's literally healing on both sides that has to happen. And, um, and I think that also with the, the differences in who we decide to love, whether it's, you know, uh, heterosexual, whether it's LGBTQI plus, like that, that's something that's, that's we're, that we need to just kind of set aside in order to be like solid. We need solidarity at this point. And that's why I want to bring, um, um, major on because that's one contention that I've noticed on this platform that has has kind of been a consistent thing. All those damn Christians, those Christians, those those uh, those disrespectful Christians, those evil Christians, and I didn't might have met a couple of shady Christians or two. I'll be honest, but at the same time, those people like major they're that way. I mean, I also know them too, um, and also um, my experience has been different. I can respect people's experiences. So, you know, I'm not saying put aside your personal experience or the solidarity, but there, I'm just saying there are some people that may come from a different experience that really are not here to hurt or harm. Um, they, they still, just because they believe something doesn't mean that they're anti you the same way we're pro black don't mean we anti anybody else. We just speaking up for ourselves because, um, we clearly see a system that has not benefited us. And some of those people in those same systems that we kind of push against, they also believe in what we believe in terms of the system not necessarily benefiting us and that it needs to be changed, it needs to be broken down, it needs to be fixed. Um, so yeah, that's what I want to say. I think that's everything that's on my heart. Um, I do have another interview coming up very soon. I just want to make sure that I get the camera because I think it's going to be an in-person interview, socially distancing, of course. Um, so yeah, thank y'all so much for checking in with the Spiritual Homegirl podcast. If you would like to find me, you can do so at Spiritual Homegirl on Facebook or Instagram or YouTube. Um, this may actually go up on YouTube because um, I do have a camera on. I'm actually recording this audio and video, so I may end up just putting the uh, footage on YouTube. Why not? Um, what's this one? Show? Oh, awesome. If you want to uh, subscribe to the podcast, it's I'm basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. So that's Spotify, Anchor. Um, I might even upload to SoundCloud depending on how I'm feeling. Um, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Acast. I'm on every single podcasting platform imaginable. So just find Spiritual Homegirl, um, as there should only be one. And, <laughs> and you can find me there. And also, um, if you would like to... Shop with your girl, black-owned business. Okay, you can find it at spiritualhomegirl.shop. I have meditation guides. I have um, I have aromatherapy inhalers like this one. I actually used this one before my uh, oh, it smells so good. But I actually used that before my interview, and um, and I use it throughout the day. I also have uh, merchandise. I also have t-shirts, hoodies, things like that. So I have a pretty. Oh, also, I'm launching something on the 23rd. I'm launching something on Tuesday, so stay tuned. It's, it's, it's we're talking about arming, okay? Arming. That's 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 the clue. Arming it is. So consider this notice. If you listen to this after uh, after the 23rd, well, make sure you tap in because it's a limited. It's gonna be a limited edition situation. It's gonna be up and it's boom, gonna disappear. So um, with that being said, I think that's everything, y'all. I hope you're getting some joy. Um, I hope you guys are making peace of the day. That is a secondary uh, thing that I do. Um, that's Instagram make peace with the day. And um, speaking of that, I'm actually going to restart relaunching my books. 
I have actually been inspired by recent events, and I think that it's time for me to update my books. It's been a couple of years since I put my first one out. So I think I'm going to update it. I'm going to expand it, and I'm going to revise it um, and add a lot more, and I'm going to re-release it. So, yeah. So what time is it right now? What, what moon phase are we in? I think we are currently in a moon phase right now. Yep, 0.2%, no moon in Cancer. So happy Cancer season to everyone. Uh, happy uh, Gemini season for my sidereals, but happy new moon uh, regardless. And I hope you guys are able to get some manifestation in, whether it's prayer, uh, whether it's cleaning your house, whether it's um, whether it's accepting your emotions, because, you know, cancer is associated with the emotions. Whatever it is, I hope you get some type of joy, some kind of peace, some kind of release. Please release as often as you can, because it's absolutely necessary during these times. This is not normal in terms of what we are used to. I mean, our normal always wasn't necessarily normal, but this this is more uh, traumatic than our quote unquote normal. So I just really want people to release as much as you can. If you got to cry, cry. If you want to sing, you want to shout, you want to dance, you want to, uh, you want to garden, you want to do something like do something, just release, please let those feelings out because when we hold those feelings in, it can affect our ability to, um, to keep a healthy immune system. And as I continue my schooling, I'm learning that the biopsychosocial um, and spiritual, those realms affect each other simultaneously. So basically what I'm saying is if the spiritual is not right, it affects our mind and it affects our body and it affects how we deal with others. So I just wanted to put that in y'all's brain. This is the taste of what I've been working on while I've been in school. Uh, so, oh, I spilled the beans on that. Ah, so yeah, I'm, a, I'm formally in school. I graduated uh, a, a counseling program. I graduated crisis counseling uh, training, um, and I'm just really excited to serve, y'all. I'm so excited to serve. And going back to the joy, though, even as simple as taking a walk, you know how, how healing the sun can be? An elder told me last night that the sun was the trinity. He is so amazing. He said the sun is light, heat, and matter. That is the trinity. I thought that was cool. I thought that was cool. So he was like, you know, again, that's, that was his guy, the sun. But... I will leave that for his interview because I hope that he comes on. I only want to say hope. I trust. I trust he's going to be on this platform, this podcast platform. It's another elder that I just have so much love for. And I just want to share that that little bit that I've been thinking about since he said it to me last night. So with that being said, y'all, this has been another episode of the Spiritual Hunger Podcast. My name is Maria. And also, let me give you a note of gratitude. I normally do this in the beginning, uh, but we're at the end. So thank you for listening to the podcast out of the tens and thousands of podcasts that are in podcast land. You choose to meet your ears once a week. And I really, really appreciate that. So with that being said, my name is Maria. This has been another episode of the Spiritual Home for Podcast. And remember, y'all, trust the journey, trust yourself. Sign up for Tribe Letters, spiritualhomegirls.com, spiritualhomegirls.shop. Comes out every Monday and Thursday. It's free. And I'll catch y'all later. Peace.